0: For those of you who are just new with us this morning, uh, we've been going through as a church the book of Acts starting in the new year, back in the beginning of January. And the series is called Advancing the Gospel because we see through the book of Acts, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, going out and out and out. And more and more people are, are being influenced and being changed and transformed by the good news of Jesus. And we've been saying week after week that what we see in the book of Acts is a group of people who are gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, community on mission. They're a group of people who are gospel-centered, means that they are obsessed with the good news of Jesus, what he's done, who he is. They are empowered by the spirit that was poured out upon the church on the day of Pentecost and remains with them. And they are a community on mission. Together, as the body going out with the good news to make disciples, to to tell others about the good news of Jesus. And so as a church, a foundation church, uh, we are taking our cue from the book of Acts and we're saying we want to be and are and becoming a church that is gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, community on mission. Because when we read the book of Acts, we see that there is this powerful force for transformation in the local church. We, We see that life comes from God, through the gospel in and through the local church we see lives saved in the book of Acts we see cities turned upside down we see nations and empires come under the good news and transformation of Jesus and so we want to uh, align ourselves with what the scripture teaches about what churches should be from the book of Acts and, and as we've been seeing more recently over the last few weeks there are a number of threats or dangers that face the church that will seek to try and uh, destroy the church or or, or rob it of power. And and generally speaking, there are three threats against the church and we've been looking at these over the last few weeks. Last week we saw in Acts chapter six, uh, the risk or the threat of distraction, where, where a church and church leaders can become so consumed with other issues and other peripheral matters that are important but they're not the primary thing, they can wander off mission. So we saw that last week, distraction. The week before, We saw the other danger of subversion, where people within the church try and act and behave and and, and pretend to be what they're not. They're hypocrites. And we saw the danger of that to the church and how Jesus feels about that. And that was through the, the teaching of Ananias and Sapphira, the husband and wife who lied about how holy they really were. Subversion. And thirdly, and finally, this week, we're going to see the third threat against the church. Persecution. And and, and why are we laboring and and talking about these three things? Well, the answer is, it seems to be that these three keep coming against the church through the ages, right up until now. You know, there's nothing new in that sense. It's either distraction, subversion, or persecution. And so every problem generally can be subsumed under those three three things. So the idea is, as a church, if we're aware of these threats, if we're aware of the, the, the opposition that can come against us as a church and you as individual believers, then we're ready we have, we're equipped. We can, we can push back. We can prepare. And so we're looking this morning at this text. Uh, if, you, if you're reading in your Bible, which you should be, but uh, if you're, uh, it's a big passage. Uh, Acts chapter 7 is a big um, passage, and we're reading a few, chapter, a few bits either side of it too. So what I'm going to do today uh, in the the time we have together is just pull out some of the relevant features for us as a church. It's one of those passages where there's so much going on. It really repays uh, reading it again and looking through uh, carefully what, what is being said. But today we're going to highlight some of the big things for us as a church. As a church, of course, uh, we're praying for the Holy Spirit. We're asking for his gifts. We're asking for his power. We have a big vision. We want to impact as many people as we can for the gospel of Jesus. That's why we're stood here this morning in this place. But as we shall see, the more that we go out with the gospel of Jesus, the more likely we are to come against opposition against what we're doing, against what Jesus is doing through us. So what I want to say to you this morning uh, falls under these three headings. Uh, Number one, I want to say that the spirit-empowered people powerfully advance the gospel. Spirit-empowered people powerfully advance the gospel. Number two, spirit-empowered people boldly face up to opposition. Number three, spirit-empowered people beautifully model Christ. And we're going to look at the story of Stephen That um, James just read for us. So, first of all, spirit empowered people powerfully advance the gospel. We are looking at some verses that describe and explain a bit about this character called Stephen. And Stephen is an outstanding model of what it means to be spirit empowered. In fact, four times uh, in the description of him uh, across these passages. The word full is applied to Stephen. This is a man who is full of the Spirit and wisdom. He is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He is full of grace and power. He is full of the Holy Spirit. It says it again. This was one remarkable individual that was filled with the Spirit of God. He had great power. He had great wisdom. He had great grace. He was able to work signs and wonders. Someone like Stephen, if he turned up today, would be very easy to spot. He would stand out. Not because he's flashy or cool or can do amazing, cool miracles and signs, but because he radiates Jesus. He is so full of the Spirit. Don't forget, we we, we looked at this a little bit last week. um, just, Just to clarify, every Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, every Christian has the Holy Spirit by definition. If you have faith in Jesus if you have the power and motivation to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you're adopted as a son or a daughter of God because you've got the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, you have eternal security that you always belong to God and no one can take that away from you because you have the Holy Spirit. All of these things belong to every believer in Jesus because they have the Holy Spirit. The scripture describes you as a temple of the living God. You have the the Holy Spirit if you are a true follower of Jesus but in addition to that we saw this last week scripture also makes clear that there are various moments and various people that seem to possess and have moments of fresh filling or deeper filling or something like that of the Holy Spirit refreshment we could say special endowments of the Holy Spirit the old guys used to call it unction And we've already seen in the book of Acts, uh, for example, in chapter 4, that the believers who already were believers in Jesus, they already received the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It said that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, Peter got up and addressed the council and said he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they went together and prayed afterwards and the ground and the room that they were in shook. And it says all the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was them being filled and refilled again and again. And so here we have in this man Stephen someone who is undeniably and marvelously filled with the Spirit of God. Spirit empowered people powerfully advance the gospel, and that's exactly what Stephen is doing. Stephen, here he is, Spirit empowered Stephen, ministering in the local church in the early church. He's making waves for the kingdom. We've we've just read. He's pushing back the darkness. He's advancing the gospel. He's Preaching the good news of Jesus to anyone and everyone who will sit and listen to him. He's advancing the gospel and yet as he goes on he attracts unwanted attention. We've already seen this in in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Acts. The apostles were imprisoned. They got in trouble with the religious, religious authorities. And so we see that ramping up, getting ratcheted up. The more the gospel goes out, the more opposition will come back. And that's important for us as a church to know that, especially here on this day. We are believing for big things, for the kingdom of God, are we not? Yes is the answer. I am anyway. I think you are too. As a church, we're entering this new phase. We want to advance the gospel. That's why we're stood here. And you as a follower of Jesus, if you are a true follower of Jesus, there are so many good things to the gospel. There are so many benefits to knowing Jesus. Let me just... Lay a few things out for you. If you are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you have complete and total forgiveness of your sins. You have removal of your guilt before the eyes of God. If you are a Christian, you are perfectly righteous in the eyes of God. You are adopted as a child of God. If you are a Christian, you have new resurrection life poured into you. If you are a Christian, you have power for transformation. If you are a Christian, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit with you forever giving you gifts growing fruit in your life to make you look more like jesus that's all yours when you come to faith in jesus but this is the but listen to this when you come to christ you also develop a powerful set of enemies that you may not have experienced before what are those enemies well here they are sin the world and the devil And all three of them want you to do really badly at following Jesus. They want to drag you down. They want to distract you. They want to subvert you. They want to persecute you if necessary so that you stop following Jesus. So you shut up about him. Before you were a Christian, these enemies didn't trouble you because you were no danger at all. Now you are a Christian. You are trouble to the kingdom of darkness. These are real enemies against you and against the church. And so you have to know as a Christian that you're in a battle and that we as a church are in a battle. How does that opposition come to this spirit-empowered man called Stephen? Well, look down at verse 11. It says here that this powerful group, this uh, synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called in verse 9, um, rose up. They couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking, so it says in verse 11, they secretly instigated men to to say we heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, stirred them up against Stephen. The great uh, preacher and church leader of the previous century, John Stott, said on this passage, when arguments fail, mud seems to be an excellent substitute. How much do we see that in the news today? When arguments fail, throw mud instead. And so what we see here taking place against Stephen and against his gospel advancement is a smear campaign. They can't beat him at arguments, so let's take him down. Let's propagate some fake news. And everything that they say of Stephen has an element of truth in it. That's the best kind of fake news. It's got a bit of truth in it, but it is twisted to draw the most criticism and the most condemnation from those in authority. Look down at verse 14. This is what the the, the accusations said. We have heard that he said that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs Moses delivered to us. By the way, when they say this place, they're referring to the temple in Jerusalem, this big powerful, visual reminder of God's presence among his people. That's what they mean by this place. And Moses, uh, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, Moses was the great leader of the people of Israel, the great giver of the law and, and the customs that came to characterize the people of Israel. So in summary, their accusations against Stephen were this. This Christian gospel, this Christian gospel about this murdered Jesus Christ, Is a threat to all we know and love in this country and we shall not stand to it we hold dear to our place and to our customs and this christianity threatens all of that we've got to do something we've got to stand up against this message and crush it before it crushes us that's the summary of their accusations don't know if you caught it a few, a few uh, days ago, maybe a, a week or so ago. There was a documentary on Channel 4, of course, Channel 4, um, where a female uh, TV presenter stayed in the home for a week of a man and his family um, who was what they describe as a far-right activist. He was a, a British nationalist, you could say. And this individual here uh, in, the, in the TV documentary, at one point in the show was bragging about how he had successfully trashed the reputation of a newspaper reporter who wrote something about him that he didn't like. So what did he do? This, this far-right activist guy that was on this documentary was able, through the internet, through paying a bit of money to a bunch of people in Russia, was able to create a whole series of malicious and fictitious facts about this reporter. So much so that when you typed her name into Google, every website on the first page of Google was concerned with this false allegations that was created by this far-right activist containing lies and slander that he had just made up. And that's all because that she wrote something in a newspaper that he didn't like. Trashed her reputation. That's just one example in a modern-day setting of what this could look like for us. It could happen to us when we annoy one group or another by the message that we are preaching every Sunday and we are living out that Jesus is Lord and therefore you are not. People don't always like to hear that. And some people will take it into their own hands to trash reputation, to do all they can to destroy the church. Got to be ready. We are a church that is all about advancing the gospel of Jesus and the more we do that, we will see opposition to the gospel as well. Yes, advance. Yes, opposition. But the more we advance, the more likely we will see this happen. And so, the point of this sermon and this text for us this morning is that we are going to be equipped, we're going to be ready, so that we're not surprised. We're not surprised. This comes hand in hand with advancing the gospel. So, number one, spirit empowered people powerfully advance the gospel. Number two, spirit-empowered people boldly face up to opposition. In between those two sections of the passage that uh, James read, there's the largest uh, spoken sermon recorded in all of Scripture. begins in verse 2 of Acts 7 and finishes at verse, well, 53. So we're not going to go through every detail. But Stephen stands up to those malicious rumours and those lies and those twisted half-truths and he boldly faces up to opposition. He speaks up. Let me just set the scene for you a little bit so you know the context that he's speaking into. He is in, uh, (coughs) sorry, we've already seen the synagogue of freedmen stir up the people of the city, the elders of the city, the scribes of the city. Stephen was brought or dragged, should we say, before the council, the Sanhedrin, the high council of Jewish religion. Multiple false witnesses appeared against him, trashing him in open court, And finally, he was addressed by the high priest, the highest religious authority in the entire land. All of that was stacked on one side. And on the other side stood Stephen. Alone. I was just remarking to Marion last night. There is not nothing in this text that says that there was any more disciples with him. Where were the apostles? We don't know. As far as we can tell, Stephen was on his own, against the world. So it felt. But what What a brave guy. What bottle he showed. Spirit-empowered people boldly face opposition. He faced up to his accusers. He stared them in the eyes. I am convinced he would have been nervous. He would have had the jitters. But he did not flinch from the job that was in front of him. Don't forget those four things that described Stephen, full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, full of wisdom, full again of the Holy Spirit. That didn't stop when he stood up to his opposition. He continued to be full of the Holy Spirit right up until that moment. The Spirit did not desert him at that moment. In fact, the Spirit empowered him for that moment to address his accusers. And so for this whole sermon, we're just going to uh, survey. Stephen engages in what we would commonly call today apologetics, which is giving a reason for what you believe to those who don't believe. A defence of the faith. He takes on the accusations that are leveled at him and against the gospel and against the fact that his message is a threat to this place and to the customs of Moses. Moses. And so Stephen embarks on this overview of the history of the people of Israel. He starts from Abraham through to the 12 tribes of Israel, through to Moses, the kings, the prophets, and finally coming to the current day. And in essence, what Stephen said is this. You accuse my message of being harmful to this place, the temple. But let me show you from history what this place is all about. This place, this temple is special because God lives here. That's right. But remember Abraham, the great father of our people? Where was he when God called him? He was not in Jerusalem. He was far away in Ur of the Chaldeans, it's called in modern day Iraq. Or or remember Jacob and his 12 sons, how they ended up down in Egypt because there was no food for them. Where was God then? He was with them in Egypt and Moses look at Moses where was he when God met him at the burning bush he was miles off in the wilderness of Mount Sinai right there see all these places says Stephen far from here far from Jerusalem and yet God is with his people he meets them wherever they are and so Stephen says yes the temple is special yes it was God's idea to build it but From the beginning of our existence as people, God has been pleased to show that he doesn't live in a house or a tent. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And when Jesus said of himself, I'll destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about himself. Jesus is the true temple, the true presence of God on earth. And so this building behind us, this great temple to the presence of God, that was just a signpost. That is just pointing To someone greater. So you talk about this place. God is bigger than this place. And our history shows it. But what about the customs of Moses? That was the other thing that they were trying to accuse him on. And again Stephen went back to their commonly shared history. Went back to the scriptures. And he said look. Brothers. Fathers. Let's examine the scriptures together. You love Moses don't you? We all love Moses he says. But look at how our fathers treated Moses in the wilderness back in the book of Exodus. They rejected him. Moses was sent by God as a ruler and a redeemer. He performed signs and wonders among you, said Stephen. But our fathers refused to obey him. They rebelled against him again and again. And the book of Exodus is clear. The history of the people of Israel is clear. Mutiny, idolatry, turning to idols. Whilst Moses was up the mountain receiving the law. The people were wandering far from God. In summary, this is Stephen's argument. Our fathers had God, they turned away. They had Moses and they rebelled against him. And here's the kicker in verse 51. He turns Stephen and looks at all those people gathered in front of him, lined up. And he says to them, you stiff-necked People, uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of you did not persecute? Sorry, which of the prophets did you not persecute? And the righteous one, Jesus, you have betrayed and you have murdered him. And you're the ones with the law. You're the ones with the word of God. You did not keep it. kind of a gotcha moment at the end of his message at the end of his sermon he really has got them Peter sorry Stephen really was full of wisdom and power he really was an incredibly brave individual full of conviction he got them there was no response to what he said it's true the accusations against him just fell apart when he was done Put yourself in his shoes for a minute or two. What would you have done if you had been brought in front of a council to give account for your faith? Maybe you think Stephen was a bit over the top with the way he went about it, especially accusing them of being stiff-necked and resisting the Holy Spirit and you killed the, the Messiah. Maybe you would have been tempted to just dial it down a bit, Maybe just tempted to be silent altogether because if you don't speak, they can't get you, right? But just so you know, Christian history is littered with people who stood up and stood up alone, just like Stephen. Jesus himself, of course, stood up alone and faced the council, many of whom were the same people that Stephen was talking to. Paul, the apostle, stood up many times and faced kings and councils. Peter and the apostles and in the early church, individuals like Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, Athanasius, Tertullian, Martin Luther, Hugh Latimer, Thomas Cramner and countless unnamed Christians through the ages are standing up today, standing alone, defending the faith, boldly facing opposition because you see the church will not be silenced. The church of Jesus Christ cannot but speak of the truth of Jesus and so at Foundation Church we must take our stand for the truth of Jesus. Spirit-empowered people boldly face opposition. And if we are to be a spirit-empowered church we must boldly face opposition when called upon. We mustn't be silent. Thirdly and finally Spirit empowered people beautifully model Christ. What was the response to Stephen's passionate, powerful sermon? Did he win them over? Did they say, Yeah, you're right. I turn from my sins and I trust in Jesus. That's what he was hoping, that's what he wanted but it says you have got this on your sheet in verse 54 now when they heard these things they were what enraged and they ground their teeth at him and later on in verse 57 they stopped their ears they cried out in a loud voice and they rushed together at him and they drove him out of the city and they picked up stones and they threw him threw stones at him one after another until he finally died Just to be clear, this was not the outcome that Stephen would have wanted. The church that day lost a remarkable leader, a spirit-filled individual. But the people in that council could not refute his argument, and so they resorted to a mob killing instead. Unsanctioned, unlawful, unjust, a brutal suppression of the truth. That is what happens, folks, when the gospel is advanced. But spirit-empowered people beautifully model Christ. Even in death, you see. Stephen points beyond himself to Jesus. Just just look for a moment about how gracious God is. Look look at verse uh, 55. Just moments before Stephen was going to get the life stoned out of him. God grants this vision. Stephen is again filled with the spirit for death. And he's granted this vision of heaven. He said... I, 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 I see the heavens opening, and the Son of Man—that's Jesus—standing at the right hand of God. Moments before he gave his life up for the gospel, he saw Jesus. God gave him this extraordinary experience, the kind of reassurance. It's almost a welcome home. The end is in sight. How good is God? But look at how Stephen modelled Christ. Jesus likewise was powerful in the Spirit. Jesus likewise did wonders and signs. Jesus likewise spoke with clarity that even the religious experts couldn't refute him. Jesus was arrested on trumped up charges. So was Stephen. Jesus was subject to unjust legal proceedings. So was Stephen. Jesus was taken outside the city and killed. So was Stephen. Jesus said on the cross as he died, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen, as you can see, when he was dying, said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. As they were nailing him to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As they were stoning him to death, Stephen said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them can you see that even in death spirit empowered people beautifully model Christ what possesses a person to be all out for Jesus like Stephen what drove Stephen to walk towards near certain death as he represented Jesus so beautifully that day what was going on in Stephen's heart and mind that made someone do something that seems so crazy? The answer, I think, is this. That for Stephen, Christ is all. Christ is all. There's no other explanation that would lead an individual like that to near certain death other than the fact that Christ is all for him. Jesus is above everything in Stephen's understanding. For Stephen, Jesus is the highest Lord and Master in his whole life. For Stephen, Jesus is more wonderful, he's more beautiful, he's more merciful, he's more fearsome, he's more powerful than anyone or anything else in his life. And so you see folks, when, when Jesus is all, when you capture a glance of something of who he is, then other considerations in your life will just matter a lot less even your own personal safety, when Jesus is all. There's an old hymn, love it. it. goes like this, you've maybe sung it as a child. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what happened to Stephen. When Jesus is all to you, When you turn your eyes upon him and look full in his wonderful face you'll end up doing things that you never thought you would ever do saying things to people you thought would never come out of your mouth you will be free when jesus is all to you you will be free you'll be willing to boldly follow him wherever he takes you wherever he calls you you'll obey jesus no matter what the cost because for you jesus is all Can a normal, we'll end with this thought. Can a normal Christian, like you or I, can a normal Christian powerfully advance the gospel? Can a normal Christian boldly face our opposition? Can an ordinary Christian beautifully model Jesus? Can all this be yours? Can all this be said of you and me and us? And the answer that I want to give you is an emphatic, undeniable, yes. Yes, this could be said of you. Why is that? Because this is what being Spirit-empowered looks like. At the final assessment, you see, folks, the Holy Spirit, He does so many things for us, but ultimately, the Holy Spirit draws us deeper into the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. He brings you deeper into jesus therefore the more of the holy spirit you have in you and the more of you he has for himself the more you will be powerful the more you will be bold the more you will be resplendent with the glory of jesus you will be powerful in advancing the gospel you will be bold in facing opposition you will demonstrate christ clearly in your life in your words and your deeds the more the spirit has of you and so folks as a church this is why we pray for more of the holy spirit this is why we ask lord jesus come holy spirit come this is why the scripture instructs us to be filled with the holy spirit ephesians 5 verse 18 it is all of god it is all of his grace right it is his sovereign choice and yet there is a role that we play. There is an active element. We get to ask. We get to hope. We get to expect. We get to be open. In a few moments, we're going to close by singing a song, Spirit of God. It's one that we sung quite a lot here at Foundation. But it says this, Spirit of God is a response to what we're saying here. Breathe on us now, source of life. Come ignite our weary hearts. Maybe that's for you this morning. Maybe that's your prayer. Spirit of God, come. Come revive our hearts. God is shaping us to be a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered community on mission. I believe fully that we are entering into a season of great grace ahead of us as marked by the fact we are stood here this morning. But this scripture shows us and reminds us that opposition accompanies the gospel advance. But know this, above all things God is bigger, Christ is greater, the Spirit is stronger, and we're on his team. Let's pray. Father God, would you stir? our hearts again for what you've done for us in jesus for what you give us as you pour your spirit upon us and what you call us to as you send us out on mission with the gospel in our hearts father for those of us who just feel at the moment that we are cold that we lack courage that we lack power conviction I pray, Lord, that in the singing of this next song, that you would come and, and fill us afresh. Lord, for those of us who are feeling excited and inspired and encouraged for the next season, we pray, O oh Lord God, that you would take this fire that you've already started and you'd make it burn brighter because people are attracted to the light and the heat of the gospel. And we want that more and more as a church, Lord. So we look to you, Father God, we, we pray to you, Lord. We 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 can't do anything in and of ourselves to, to bring you down, but it is in your fatherly heart in sending your son Jesus. You came down to us. And so we respond to you this morning and we say, Lord, here we are. We are small in number, and yet we know we are on your team, and you desire your glory, you want Jesus to be famous, and we want to be with you on, on that great mission so father fill us afresh fill our hearts with love for jesus show us again what he's done we thank you father for this great reminder you give us through the bread and the wine that we get to enjoy and feed upon fill our hearts lord with joy as we eat the bread christ's broken body and we drink the wine the blood that he poured out on the cross the blood of the new covenant stir us we pray as we stand and sing and take the supper in the name of jesus amen